Welcome to the Dildork Storky Discourse on Sex, Dating, and Masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and I'm going to be doing my eye makeup while we podcast today, <laughs> just sort of as a femme experiment, but also just because I'm running out of time. Um, but so it should be, it should add some interesting layers to the show, just as I am adding some interesting layers to my eyeshadow right now. <laughs> Who are you, friend? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bex, I'm a sex educator and a sex blogger, and I could not do any of this if a thousand percent of my attention was on it and you gave me seven hours. <laughs> I couldn't do what you've done in the past, like, three minutes while I set up this recording thing. Uh-huh. So, Aww, that's so, I don't nice. know what witchcraft is happening next to me right now. Well, it's just a lot but... of YouTube tutorials, you know? <laughs> So we're talking about uh, romantic myths again this week, um, part two, and there are so many more, and I am excited to just tear them the fuck apart. Yep. Yep. I'm going to have so many opinions, Mm -hmm. but I get to read them this time because there's eyeshadow in your hand. I mean, I could try it, but uh, I just don't (laughs) know. Reading while applying eyeliner. It is possible, but you would have to hold the phone. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right, how about instead you just tell me what you think about this idea that there is someone for everyone? This is such an interesting concept because I used to always say this because I thought, like, it's a, it's sort of a nice thing to say. Yeah. Um, but I also think that if someone is experiencing romantic difficulties or like long-term difficulties finding a partner, it's a very frustrating thing to hear because like, like I don't think it's, it's like optimistic or hopeful in the way that people try to make it be when they say it. Yeah. Um, it's like when I was single and feeling like I was going to be forever alone or whatever, people would always be like, you'll meet someone like it's when you least expect it you'll meet someone and like there's someone for everyone whatever and I would just be like really bitter about that I don't know it didn't really help me it feels very needle in a haystacky mm-hmm. like and it's very very deeply rooted in the myth of the one yes that there is someone that you will connect with and you just have to find that person and you're on this mission for this person whereas relationships are And partnerships, like, we choose to partner with different people through different parts of our lives, and that may be for a long time, and it may be for a short time, and all of those partnerships are significant. Mm -hmm. They're not all follies on the path to the right one. Right. You know, like, it. I feel like that myth kind of diminishes all of the other relationships we have, and the way, I mean, not even to touch on the fact that, like, we're both polyamorous. Right. But... Even in a monogamous culture, like, you can have multiple significant relationships and mm-hmm. breaking up with someone doesn't invalidate the time you spent together. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's this idea that you're, like, your whole life is a path hunting for the person who is for you, the one who is meant to pair up with you. Yeah. And also, like, this phrase is often used toward people who are having romantic difficulties perhaps because of a physical or mental difference or just being quirky or considered bizarre for whatever reason in like conventional dating culture and uh i think that it sort of ignores the reality that dating is hard for lots of people um because of our culture and like 
even if there isn't anyone in your immediate vicinity who wants to date you, like, that's not a failing necessarily on your part. And I don't know. It just feels like really like dismissive in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's a platitude. Yeah. And that's kind of how they are by nature, I think. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about this idea that women need to be in a committed monogamous romantic relationship to really enjoy sex? Well, men on the other hand, aren't into it at all. (laughs) And it's like this struggle between the sexes. Seriously. Why do straight people hate each other so much? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have dated a number of men in my life who were quite interested in commitment, like even more so than me sometimes at times, um, sometimes at times, <laughs> redundant, um, which like just was surprising to me because I was raised with this myth, like so heavily pushed on me. Um, but it's just another case of like, individual people are individual people and you know you can't ascribe all the supposed traits of groups they're in to all of the people in the group yeah and i think a lot of people really fall back on this one because you hear the people who talk about you know it's 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 just science men can come a million times but there's one egg a month and you know whatever (laughs) and you know the law of averages and you think about it for 20 seconds and you're like oh maybe but then you get to 30 seconds and you're like that's stupid (laughs) yeah i mean evolutionary psychology is very persuasive and, and attractive as a notion but it's so often speculative and also doesn't really apply to where we are in current human history a lot of times and you know there's there's a lot of social factors a lot of impacts there yeah like there's so much else going on that it doesn't fully account for yeah and Um, there are sociocultural factors that encourage women to pursue you know more committed relationships and men to not yeah um but I actually kind of see that breaking down to some extent in my social circle. Maybe maybe it's just because I'm friends with a lot of queers, but um, there does seem to be a notion of, like, some people are into commitment right now and some people are not, and that's cool, and it's, like, not, you know, a gendered thing necessarily. Yeah, I've also been hearing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Uh, so does love conquer all? <laughs> Like, when you get, when, okay, but so, like, when I find the one, mm. this shit's gonna be easy, right? I don't need to, this podcast is for all of these fuck-ups out here. <laughs> yeah. But people who are truly in love don't need shit like this. It's just easy, right? So, it's interesting that two of the myths that we've been talking about here, one of them is, like, love isn't really love unless there's conflict. And then mm. another one is, like, love isn't really love if there's ever conflict. And they're both wrong. Like, <laughs> it's okay to have some conflict. I don't think it's healthy if you're all conflict all the time in a relationship. Um, but I would also be alarmed if there was never any, because then I feel like you're probably not talking about real issues, you know? Yeah, and I think the defini- definition of conflict mm-hmm. can be very different, right? Because I know relationships, like Sonny and Ken always joke on their podcast that bickering is one of their love languages, mm-hmm. right? And the, they enjoy that antagonistic banter and it's flirtatious and everything. It would drive me bonkers to date someone like that. They're yeah. adorable and I love like being around them. Yeah. And in a relationship with me, like that's not 
how I work. Yeah. I don't, so I think I don't the like, definition um, of that. I don't like partners who are antagonistic either. I don't like the idea that, like, you should be constantly, like, making fun of each other and being sarcastic with each other. That's not my style. Yeah. I want, like, a positive partner who likes me and is unafraid to sincerely communicate that. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's no conflict ever. That would be absurd. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I like, I enjoy playful teasing banter and stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Varying degrees and definitions and such. Yep. And, you know, there's also cases where you love someone so much, but there's some just, like, unconquerable incompatibility. Yeah. Like, one of my past partners who I loved a lot, a lot, a lot was super monogamous, and I was figuring out that I wasn't. Like, that was one of the reasons that our relationship had to end, and it was not a case of a lack of love. Like, that's not what the problem was. It's just, like, there are some issues that are beyond that, you know? Even stuff like living in different locations and not being up for long distance, or there's so many logistical Can't have half a kid. Right, exactly. (laughs) One person wants to get married, one person doesn't, you know, like... There are a lot of a lot of things. Yeah, and there there are a lot of things you can compromise on, and mm-hmm. but like, or even wanting different styles of relationships together, mm-hmm. and different like the a relationship is a collaborative thing, and you need to the relationship is almost its own entity, mm-hmm. and you need to build it together and be able to craft it together. Yeah, um, and that doesn't necessarily like. If you're not building the same kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we like to think that love can just, like, fix everything, and it's just not, not the case. Yeah. More myths about love. Love is unconditional. This is so interesting to me, and I've had, like, multiple discussions with folks on Twitter about it, because I think to some extent love should be unconditional, in the sense that, like, if I'm having a tough depression day or if I have a moment of anger and irritability, I still want my partner to love me through that, like, just by virtue of understanding that I'm human and that that will happen. But I think the notion of unconditional love is is used sometimes to keep people in really shitty, potentially even toxic or abusive relationships Because it's like you should love someone no matter what. And like that's what you've signed up for when you get into a relationship. But it's like your love can be conditional. You can have boundaries on like what you need and expect from a person that you're with. Like that's totally fine. It doesn't mean that your love is any less legitimate. Yeah, I think I think all love should be somewhat conditional. And I think those conditions should just be thought out and reasonable and kind and loving. Yeah. You know, um... Because there, but there are times when you need to like tag out, or there there yeah. are reasons to like not, and also unconditional love, like we were talking about. Love doesn't mean relationship. Doesn't necessarily even mean time spent together. Right? Mm-hmm. You can love someone and know that it's better for yourself or for them to right. not be around them. Yeah. I I mean, when I think about unconditional love, I think a lot about parental relationships. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that my parents' love for me is unconditional. But at the same time, if I 
murdered somebody and it wasn't in self-defense, I would not blame them at all for not loving me anymore. You know, <laughs> like I, I think that they would be justified probably in, in doing that. And so um, this idea of unconditional love really tripped me up when my uh, first daddy dom dumped me. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he had never said to me, I love you unconditionally, but like kind of in the daddy dom dynamic, there is this feeling of like, it's a parental-esque dynamic. So there's a feeling of like, I could fuck up, I could be having a hard day and I would still be loved. That turns out like, I actually could fuck up so badly that I fucked the whole relationship up. (laughs) I I don't think it was my fault, but um, it it was very jarring for me to see that a love that I had assumed was somewhat unconditional was not. And so mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a dangerous idea, actually, for a yeah. lot of reasons. And honestly, I don't know that I want to be loved unconditionally. Mm. Like, I like the idea of the people who love me choosing to continue to love me. Mm. And unconditional love feels almost like an obligation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, I've committed. Well, I'm loving you despite all of these things. And I don't want to feel like someone's loving me despite all of these things. I want to feel like someone is joyfully loving me. Like, I don't want there to be caveats. I don't want there to be obligations. I don't want them to feel tied in, you know? That's one of the things I love most about polyamory. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I can know they have other partners and support networks. I can know that they're not with me from, like, this fear of being alone or something like that. Like... I can know that they're choosing every day that they still want to mindfully create this relationship with me. Yeah. This is one of the things that like has always freaked me out about marriage is like the idea that you signed up legally to love this person or to at least stay with them uh, for the ostensible future. And it's like, I would rather like you said, my partner, like, re-decide to be with me every day. Like, that feels more romantic to me. Um, but I still want to get married, though, you know? I like the idea of vow renewals for yeah, this reason. Say, like, that's kind of a nice tradition. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, set yourself up for, like, you know, every 10 years doing a, like, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. So every relationship is, like, basically between men and women, right? Like, when you go up to gay folks, you can tell who's who's a man and who's a woman <laughs> in the relationship, right? Yeah, people will be like, who's the guy? Or, like, who wears the pants? And it's like, shut the fuck up. I, I always like the, the metaphor for this where it's like, that's like asking a pair of chopsticks which one is the fork and which one is the knife. It's just... Yeah wrong you're not getting it it's just not what they do (laughs) you have missed the entire concept yeah i mean it's straight people Mm -hmm. trying to put everything in their terms yeah (laughs) which like kind of makes sense to me like i get that you would try to grasp things through your framework but you gotta you gotta evolve your perspective yeah and even like think critically about what it even means to be the man and the woman like right right but counterpoint i mean like we were saying last week um there are situations and reasons why like someone might want to embody certain like gendery roles even within an explicitly same-sex relationship yeah like when i've dated butch women like if someone would have asked us, like, who's the guy in the relationship, obviously that's wrong because, like, a butch woman is not a guy. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, there is, like, a tiny bit of, like, truth to the idea that she would be, like, the more masculine energy of that 
thing and like play that role in some ways and like I think that's fine if people want that yeah and there are definitely uh, again because it's an existing structure it's really fun to fuck with and invert and yeah. play with in weird and interesting ways yep I mean we talked earlier about this one but the idea that conflict is healthy yeah conflict is necessary mm-hmm. um you can resolve conflict in ways that are healthy yeah addressing underlying conflict is healthy mm-hmm. yeah i think we've basically yeah answered that one just don't ignore it yeah your your spouse or your partner is your best friend at the center of your universe and fulfills all of your needs. If this is the case, I would be worried that you are socially isolated to a potentially dangerous extent, either because uh, your partner has done that to you, which is an abuse red flag, or you're mm-hmm. just, you know, putting all your emotional eggs in one basket, which is not healthy like because if that relationship ends you're gonna your life's gonna be in ruins yeah and you have no perspective you've created an echo chamber between the two of you yeah that you're never able to reflect and it's also because i've been in uh not necessarily entirely like that but i've been in relationships where it was we were more of a pair than i have in other relationships and when that happens I don't know, it's harder to parse out my own identity sometimes. Mm, Yeah, it becomes almost, like, codependent. Yeah, it becomes a little bit of an amalgam that, like... Yeah, you just need to, like... Be able to go out with your friends. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Also, like, obviously in polyamory, like... Even if someone's your primary partner, it's really not a great idea for them to be, like, your whole entire world um it's just it's not nice to people it's not nice even to the to the partner who is your whole world because you're putting too much pressure on them yeah yeah it's just not great yeah well in line with that real love means being obsessed with your partner and wanting to spend all day every day with them (laughs) this is a tricky one for me because like when i like someone a lot i do get kind of obsessive and I like seeing that mirrored back at me. Like, I I like a partner who is, like, very, very focused on me. At least, like, during the NRE period. Because that makes me feel like they're, like, actually in it. And, um, like, our love languages are compatible and stuff. But obviously there's a threshold at which that becomes too much. Um, and I think that's just, like, you can feel that out intuitively. Mm-hmm. And certainly you shouldn't be spending 24-7 with anybody. It's like your relationship will probably suffer. Your other relationships will definitely suffer. Um, nothing, nothing is sustainable like that. Yeah. Like that's just, yeah. So what about relationships that started or remain primarily on the internet? Uh, and this idea that they don't count. This is so interesting because I've actually like evolved on this issue um, over the past few years. Like mm-hmm. I dated a guy once who had had a relationship before me that was entirely on the internet. They had never met in person or rather they did meet in person, but at that point they had already broken up. They had remained friends. Um, so he regarded her as an ex. Uh, 
And I kind of didn't. Like, I kind of was like, all right, whatever. Like, you can call that a relationship if you want, but, like, I don't really consider her as such. Um, And (laughs) jokes on me, because I got into a long-distance relationship. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, I think that some people could make a case that if your relationship exists entirely online, that it's not the same as an offline relationship. I think certainly there are things that you won't see about your partner, like, because when you're online, you're presenting yourself a certain way, um, you're self curating. And so you might not get like always the most authentic picture of your partner. Um, But I don't think that that makes it a fake relationship. I think it's just like, probably you have to like tread carefully in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is different, but I will say like, there are definitely folks who, especially with, Skype and stuff now. Mm-hmm. Folks who just leave that shit on and like practically live together, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. are, you know, constantly in each other's space. And mm-hmm. like it's very different now than it would have been in another time. Yeah. Um, and I think we've kind of closed the gap a lot more. Yeah. I think like. I'm, I'm, like, a little bit skeptical about these relationships just because, like, I've had so many past experiences where, like, I met someone in person and was much less attracted to them than I thought I would be because of, like, mm-hmm. pheromone things or whatever. But um, if your relationship is only ever meant to exist online, then that stuff doesn't even matter. Like, you know, the intellectual compatibility piece or whatever is, like, more important, obviously. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, especially for, like, ace folks who mm-hmm. may yeah. not be interested in, like, engaging sexually often or ever. Yeah. Um, or people with or f- social anxiety who, like, d- have trouble, you know, making real-life connections. Or there's so many reasons why this might be an appealing option. Yeah. Um, and it's a relationship style that suits people. And it's definitely... I think there are definitely distinctions and differences but i don't know that one is like less than Mm -hmm. i just think they're different experiences of a relationship yeah um yeah and i think we all get to decide for ourselves our definitions of what counts as a relationship because like there are probably people in my past who consider me an ex who i don't consider an ex or vice versa just based on a difference in labeling yeah. And that's just like a normal variance the of that dates happens. that you've been on yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, so what about jealousy as a sign of caring or affection, right? Oh, they're so upset. They must love me so much. This one's really hard for me. <laughs> because like I used to be very much on board with this when I was in high school. Like I, I remember I dated this guy who like, clearly was a budding polyamorist I think um and had no jealousy whatsoever and I kind of got a little bit mad at him like I was like well you must not be that into me then which is this very like adolescent error of thinking yeah. where you're like I experience this thing in a certain way therefore if someone else doesn't experience the, the exact same way then they're not really feeling it or whatever yeah um obviously like in polyamory jealousy is something that we try to work through and avoid if we can and not put on other people too much if possible um so you know whereas in a monogamous relationship i might earlier have expressed jealousy when i feel it now it is that's a moment when i go inward and think like what am i missing what do i need to work on 
Um, what uh, fears do I need to talk myself out of? Um, but I don't want to say like jealousy is like inherently unhealthy though, because if if you're not doing anything shitty with it, like being manipulative, I don't know that feelings can be unhealthy. I think right. behaviors are right. Exactly. Yes. So, I think um, I think there are a lot of unhealthy behaviors attributed to jealousy. Yeah. Because um, in Polyland, like we so often say not us but some people say if you experience jealousy you're either not poly or you're bad poly um and that is just not true or effective or nice like there's no shame in feeling a feeling it's just like are you are you are you turning into a monster because of this feeling that you're feeling and are refusing to process yourself yeah exactly although i do the other complicated thing for this, mm-hmm. for me, yeah. is uh, I have a lot of kink feelings around ownership. Yes, same. And possessiveness. Yeah. And related I... feelings, which are hot as roleplay. <laughs> and lots yeah. of like complicated feelings around that in terms of relationships. I remember when I first started texting with my partner a lot and I went out to this party and like a cute boy at the party winked at me and uh, this was something that my partner had been doing a lot was like playing with my winking kink Mm -hmm. and so I texted them and told them this cute boy winked at me and they were like grr not jealous not jealous and I kind of took it as like this like jokey like performative jealousy for my benefit and I did enjoy it in that way of like this is a cue of like this person is feeling possessive over me and therefore really likes me um so that's that's fun and I I do notice that like if I like someone more I get more jealous about them but I think that's like probably the usual way that that scales up yeah yeah you need to share political values Oh, this was was really, yeah, very interesting because, okay, I think that this is truer now than it is in times of less global strife. Yes. Because uh, at moments like this in our history, like if you don't share political values with someone, they could very well be a fucking white supremacist Nazi, you know, like it's, it's very high stakes. It's very black and white, so to speak um, at the moment. And maybe that's always been true, and maybe it's a privileged perspective of me to think that that's more true now. Yeah, I think... I think our... I mean, our core political views need to be in alignment. Mm -hmm. Like, we need to agree about the important shit. Yeah. But honestly... And again, maybe this is a more now thing. I'm... There are certain pieces and things that I believe in politically that I am constantly fighting the rest of the world for, mm-hmm. especially pieces around my own identity. Yeah. Um, and I can't fight my partner on that. Yeah. I just can't. Like, there are other things I can disagree on. Yeah. But honestly, the stuff I feel strongly about politically is like my humanity. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna disagree on that. Exactly, yeah. Like... And I'm not a deeply political person. I'm trying to learn to be, actually, if you have your 
favorite podcast or some shit. I'm open to recommendations. I'm trying to keep up what's going on. Some shit. But <laughs> this is what I know about politics. You're so committed to it. Um, <laughs> fuck, I try to listen to the news in the morning now. I'm learning. Mm. Um, I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but so it, I think if it was... Like, I'm trying to think about other things that I feel really passionate about, and I think if they had a slightly nuanced view of it that was somewhat in line with my opinions, but uh, some divergences, mm-hmm. I might be okay with some of the other stuff. But right now, everything I care about politically is so... Now we're just talking about us, but still. Yeah. Everything, yeah. I always kind of thought, like, if if I were to ask a potential partner, are you a feminist, and they said no, I think the only reason I would accept for that answer was, like, I have some problems with the feminist label. I think it's a, you know, a complicated movement that hasn't always been super inclusive, and yeah. or, or perhaps they're or, a man, and they're like, I don't think I can claim that label. I think I try to be a feminist ally, you know, like, so those are kind of, like, more nuanced takes on that that I would find acceptable, but, like, I dated a guy uh, once who was not a feminist who did not believe in uh, systemic privilege or oppression. And I felt like exactly what you just said about, like, I don't want to fight my partner on something that I'm fighting the rest of the world about all the fucking time. Like, I'm on the internet writing about sex, writing about the humanity of women with trolls yelling at me left and right. And I don't want to go on a date night with my partner and have to have a debate about whether women are subjugated in this country. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just, I'm over it. I had that discussion six times already on Twitter. I'm not here for it. Yeah, and I need them to be... I, I mean, if someone's my partner, I need them to be in my corner. Yeah. And right now, that means politically being on my side. Yeah. That's just... It just does. Also, frankly, like, if I'm thinking about marrying someone or having kids with them and they have different views from me on environmentalism, yikes. Because, like, we're going to live through that future together, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's going to influence our decisions in that regard. So... I'm I'm just imagining the two of you, like marching across a dystopian fucking hellscape and you being like, if you had only recycled, you could have saved us from this. I fucking told you so. Yeah. Can you imagine dating a climate change denialist right now? (laughs) I mean, let alone ever. I was going to say, can you imagine dating a climate change denialist post the end of the world? Right. Right. God. God. Fuck. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because, like, how involved would you get with someone who you disagree with on some of these issues? Like, could you fuck them once, you know? Well, going from here, too, is this idea that you're not supposed to talk about this shit on a first date. <laughs> no, getting into it. It's 2019. Like, I'm not... <laughs> I'm rolling it out. I Yeah, I don't have I'm time. Ready. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, I have feminists written in my uh, Tinder bio. I don't think that most people read them, yeah. but uh, it's really important to me to have that there so that if someone is looking for stuff like that, they will just exit from my life promptly because I don't need it. Yep. Yep. I front load all of the stuff that all of the most controversial things about me. Mm-hmm. Learn them as soon as you can because I don't have time. <laughs> about this one once a cheater always a cheater (sighs) another hard one these are heavyweight questions this week um as opposed to last week (laughs) well i feel like last week i was much more decisively like that's wrong um and this week i'm like but uh." okay so here's my thinking 
if I knew that someone I was dating had previously cheated, especially if it was more than once, I would be nervous that yeah. they would do it again. I would want to have conversations with them about like, what were the factors that led you to do that before? And do you still feel like those factors are present or have you worked on them? Um, you know, I would, I would want to talk about that. Uh, and I should say, actually, for those of you who don't know this um you can cheat and be cheated on in a polyamorous relationship it's usually just defined as like breaking the boundaries that you've set yeah um so yeah i would be nervous but i also think people can change yeah um i would be open to that we all make mistakes when we're younger you know yeah people evolve and i'm not interested in dating someone who hasn't evolved right like honestly if you are chill with everything you've ever done in your past, mm -hmm. I feel like that's more of a warning sign. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I like to think that the people I'm in relationships with have evolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't talk about bodily functions at all or pee in front of each other or they'll fall out of love with you. <laughs> so here's an interesting thing. <laughs> I've peed in my partner's mouth and they still love me. <laughs> Wild. On numerous occasions. So many in fact, times. They might even love you more. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely feel like we, we've come closer <laughs> as a couple because they've swallowed my pee. Um, yeah, it's tough. This used to come up sometimes on the Ask Women subreddit when I was a moderator there. And I always kind of thought, like, I don't really want to get to the level with a partner where we are shitting in front of each other. That's kind of like a line for me. Like, I I have no desire. Some people are like, intimacy goals. I'm like, I have no desire to do that. No. That doesn't seem fun to me. That doesn't My seem... My cat looks at me a minute and it makes me nervous. <laughs> Like, it's, I understand the appeal of, like, pursuing something basically purely for the sake of intimacy and, like, it being a milestone, but that to me is just, like, I don't, I don't need that in my life. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm also well aware that, like, honestly... Are you okay. going to say something emotional about scat right now? <laughs> no, sweet. <laughs> For me, yeah. When I get to go to the bathroom, I get to close the door, and that's my room alone. Yes. For like a yeah. solid two minutes, and it's just a little introvert heaven, and I don't need to invite people into there with me. Yeah, it's my time, and I can do whatever I want with no one bothering me in that time. Yeah, I get that. I think about this a lot with regards to menstrual stuff. Um, I had a partner once who I was so intimate with that he was able to uh, remove my menstrual cup, like, if we were about to have sex or something, which is actually like, kind of a tricky maneuver, especially if you don't have a vagina. Mm. But um, I have not gotten to that level with any subsequent partner because that's just uh, that's a lot to expect from somebody. Um, you're getting a lot of stuff on you. But, I mean, like, the menstrual thing is, like, one case where I do want partners to be chill with it. But that's because that's for, like, a week out of every month. Like, some other bodily functions are just a few minutes out of my day. Like, I don't need everybody to be sitting in on those. <laughs> Family meeting. <laughs> Round table. 
can I, I, I did, um, six days after meeting my partner, I did get extremely drunk and FaceTime them from the toilet, <laughs> which, uh, we're still dating, so yeah, I, mean, I, I guess it's fine. <laughs> I think I, I was guess. peeing while I was on the phone with them. It turns out they're into water sports, it's fine. <laughs> Neither of us knew that at that time. <laughs> Maybe that's why. It's that was their imprint oh, moment. <laughs> the origin story. Wait, is that the origin of their water sports kink? <laughs> or did this like hidden water sports kink make them fall in love with you from this toilet Skype call? Whoa. <laughs> trippy. Well, Matt, if you're listening right now. Of course they're listening. <laughs> I mean, Wait. they're not listening right now, but right now, whenever right. they're listening yeah. is right now. Call into Time the show, travel. let us know. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not how it works. You just call them. Yeah. We're not drunk right now, even, and the no. show's just going off the rails. That's Honestly, okay. I think it's because last week happened an hour ago. It's true. We did we did both weeks in, in one go. Which is why I giggled when you said last week, and <laughs> then you committed, and I was like, oh, I guess we're not telling them the secret. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I was like, yes, last week was so different from right now. <laughs> the Dildorks venture through time. <laughs> so this one I love because I actually just had a whole conversation about this at Woodhull. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that couples need to share a room and share a bed because that's like part of coupling and that's what you yeah. do when you move in together. Yeah. I had a, a great grandfather and great grandmother who famously um, had like entirely different wings of their house that oh they lived God. in. Yeah. So they only had like a few shared spaces where they would spend time together. And I think it was originally because he snored and she couldn't sleep, but they both just loved it so much that they stuck with it for literally the rest of their lives. And I find that actually kind of a beautiful love story. That really is. Yeah. Like, I, I was, I've shared a room and a house with a partner before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was fine. Like, I, I was never really bothered by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, knowing who I am, like, that was seven, six, seven years ago, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, now, knowing who I am as a person, I'm like, there is no way. I, I don't think I'll ever share a room with a partner unless like i have to yeah which for financial reasons i probably will at some point Mm -hmm. um because it'll make new york a hell of a lot cheaper Mm -hmm. but uh if i could i would love to have separate rooms just one of the things i was talking about is the idea that i can have alone time without feeling like I'm precluding someone else from being in a space that is theirs. Right, yeah. Like, I can be in my room for as long as I want, Mm -hmm. and no one will be like, ugh, it's my turn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, first of all, I want to say, Dr. Liz Powell tells a story about this in their book, uh, Building Open Relationships, about um, just, like, in the throes of new relationship energy, they invited a long-distance partner to move across the country and move in with them, mm-hmm. uh, including sharing a bedroom, and then they pretty quickly realized that that was not something they actually wanted, and now they have decided to literally never do that again, um, which I think is, like, a, a great thing to know about yourself. Yeah. Um, I think for me personally, like, I wouldn't mind being in close quarters with a partner as long as they understood and were chill about my introversion because I yeah. need them to not think it's weird if I occasionally hide under a blanket with headphones on, you know, because yeah. I'm, I'm inevitably going to need to do that at some point, probably fairly regularly. 
And so, you know, as long as that's all right, I'm fine. Yeah, I uh, I think the other thing is that my room is a space that I am entirely in control of, mm. right? In living rooms and other spaces, I make compromises based on the other people that need to use that space because mm-hmm. that's what you do as a human being. Right. But my room is my room, so it is built and designed to serve me, and if people come in and start moving shit around, that's weird. Like, they are out of line. Yeah. This is mine. Um, so this, like, degree of ownership, um, is really, really nice. I think I would be okay in a cohabitation situation if there were certain areas within the space that were mine that I could be assured nobody would fuck with, even if it was just my desk or my side of the bed, you know, whatever. I think that that would be okay. Um, what about, uh, sleeping in the same bed together though. I'm like very torn on this because sometimes I have a lot of trouble sleeping if there's someone beside me. Um, but other times it's comforting, like especially when I'm depressed and I'm like lonely. Oh, I would visit their room and they would visit mine, <laughs> right. I'm sure. You gotta fuck like, somewhere. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> like honestly, yeah. 50 to 60% of the time, I'm sure, you know, four, four nights out of the week, I'm sure I would be sleeping mm-hmm. in their bed or them in mine. But you just gotta have it. But we have our own spaces. Yeah. Exactly. We can crash in our own rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, you know, someone can work a night or go out and come home and not wake the other person up. And like, you know, we have that degree of autonomy and we can choose to use it or not. Yeah. I feel like there's this prevalent belief that you are missing out on some major form of intimacy if you don't share a bed with a partner, which first of all is very like dismissive of partners who don't or can't live together, which sucks um, because like they can still be very intimate and close. Um, But uh, I also think like maybe you do have to be a bit more intentional about ways that you pursue certain types of intimacy if you take that one away. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if like you are both busy and like maybe that's one of your main times when you used to talk or whatever mm-hmm. right before bed. So like you might have to, you know, reshuffle things a little bit, but it's certainly doesn't preclude you from great forms of intimacy. I do also think it encourages you to be more intentional about the time you spend together. Because mm-hmm. I think folks, like, your time in bed together, yeah, you might talk a little bit before you fall asleep or whatever, but that's not necessarily socializing or visiting. Like, I hear this a lot with um, folks talking about their nesting partners in polyamory, going and dating other folks. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you visit your other partner three nights, you know, two nights a week, but you're with your nesting partner all the rest. And it's like, yeah, but those aren't date nights. Right, it might not be quality time. Yeah, you're like, you know, passing each other in hallways and crashing in bed and whatever. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's, again, you're being intentional about the decisions and the times you want to spend together. If I'm going to my partner's room, it's because I'm wanting to be there with them that night in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether, you know, we're watching, you know, marathoning a TV show or fucking or whatever. Mm -hmm. Good. I got into some fucking arguments on Twitter this week about this one. There was an our relationships post uh, from this girl who was saying that uh, her boyfriend like dresses really 
slobby, like really casual, including in situations that call for more formal dress. And um, she was going with him to this like fancy family event where like family portraits were going to be taken and he refused to dress more formally. And uh, and she she noted that she had been watching Queer Eye lately and it's been making her like her partner less because, <laughs> because she's seeing that like it can be a sign of love if you put effort into your appearance yeah. for your partner. Um, and people were arguing with me on Twitter about it because they were saying like that's an ableist concept. Um, no one should have the right to demand that their partner do anything uh, with their appearance, which I agree with both of those points entirely. Um, I wasn't trying to say anyone should force anyone to do anything. I was trying to say if you know your partner likes a certain thing and you're able to do it, uh, it's nice to do it. And inflexibility and rigidity around not finding something to accommodate them, right? Mm -hmm. Um whether it's, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm not able to afford nice things, but if you get it, I'll buy it. Like, you know, varying degrees of accessibility, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I find it really overwhelming to do this process, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and finding something that helps both of you, but just flat out refusing to do something that is important to your partner. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think dressing for an event you're going to mm-hmm. is like fairly acceptable thing to expect from someone. Yeah, I think so. It's it, it displays a certain form of social intelligence potentially. Um, but I mean, all of this is problematic because it's potentially ableist, classist, all of that stuff. So, which is why I'm saying, I I don't think it should ever be a demand or an ultimatum. I'm just saying if you can do it, it's nice. Um, and like, I, I have dated dudes who are like really, really casual in their dress and I would see them putting a little bit of effort, even in just like wearing a t-shirt that they knew I liked better than some other t-shirt for a date night, you know, like that's a small amount of effort that still communicates to me that like they are trying to impress me or show me that they're into me. Yeah. I mean, all of this is coming from someone who wears $5 Uniqlo t-shirts every day. (laughs) Like, but I mean, I'm they look not, good, so... <laughs> I got a $5 Uniqlo t-shirt that fits me. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, like, so you can, um, you know, there are things you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, standards of what, go- what looks good and what is acceptable for occasions also... Uh, wildly differ based on what culture you're in and context and yeah like like, racism there is a lot of racism in these things yeah it's true i just Um, read this whole article (laughs) i was like how do i say that i just read an article about the idea of professional dress and how it's like so biased against like people of color and women and like a lot of different groups uh it's really limiting yeah um because a lot of clothes coded for people of color and specifically black people are also coded as unprofessional. Right. Um, and hairstyles. There are, and, yeah. There yeah. are very few protections for folks with natural hair and dreads yeah. um, that they can be fired based on looking unprofessional. And all of that is super fucked up. Yeah. Um, so these like standards of attractiveness in our culture um, are a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, 
thinking about how you present yourself in a way that is comfortable for you and good in your relationship. And as, you know, date someone who has similar standards to you mm-hmm. in presentation, yeah. in what they find comfortable. Yeah. Um, and in the kind of people you, yeah, I mean, you got to agree on things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> If I ever had a partner who demanded that I shave any part of my body, I would fly off the handle and break up with them. But uh, when I know that a partner enjoys certain parts of my body shaved, it makes me want to do it because I want them to think I'm sexy and I want to show them that I'm into them. And that's there's such a big difference between those two things. Yeah, this is me thinking. This has me thinking a lot about that panel at. Oh, was it Playground that Becca, Becca Hiles, Kova, and someone else did? Was it about femme identity? That was about, yeah, um, inhabiting this femme identity uh, as a feminist. Mm-hmm. And they talked a lot about what it is to perform fen- femininity mm-hmm. in very traditional ways because they know it turns their male partner on to do it. Right. And it makes them happy mm-hmm. to turn their male partner on because by, you know, wearing a dress or whatever. And is that inherently not feminist? Which, right. no. Like, I view it as navigating the game that we're playing within. And some people would say, well, the game sucks, so you should fight against the game at any opportunity. And I think we don't have the the energy or the resources to fight against the game at every opportunity and also like some parts of the game are fun right like and the game is rigged but fighting the game the whole time sounds exhausting i'd rather just find more ways to make it fun for me yeah or to cheat yeah (laughs) same thing (laughs) before we wrap up let's discuss one of my least favorite ideas in the entire canon of dating and love uh can you be out of someone's league? I I want to know where these rankings exist. Yeah. Like, I'm picturing some, like, basement gambling thing where everyone is getting various <laughs> rankings. Like the and there's a bunch Derby. of men yelling and waving <laughs> papers. Um, yep. It, yeah. So here's the thing. Objective attractiveness does not exist and our culture seems really intent on convincing us all that it does exist and the way that it does that is by trying to establish like these conventional attractiveness markers or whatever um but the thing is like even though we're influenced by those ideas we still all have differing ideas of what attractiveness is um, and I know that because people are into me and I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, wouldn't fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> if sure. I had to. Um, I'm my backup choice. <laughs> but like I was I was forced to confront this very directly when I started dating my partner because I think that they're like one of the most beautiful, handsome people I've ever seen in my whole life. And I was, I mean, I think you remember because I was freaking out at you about it. I was like, I don't understand why this person is into me. I think that they might be lying to me or tricking me because I don't, I literally can't compute. I don't get it. And uh, I just really needed to realize that like, if you like each other, it's all good. It doesn't matter. Like if you think you're in different leagues, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And like... 
the people you're into mm-hmm. tend to be like the most beautiful, handsome people. Like it's true. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that the way you feel about someone alters your perception of them. Yeah. I will say like uh, as much as subjectively it doesn't and shouldn't matter in the world, you might well encounter um, people being shitty if you, if you're like outwardly perceived as being like a mixed league couple or whatever. Like I've seen yeah. essays like I remember reading this essay from a woman who was fat and she was dating like a thin, conventionally attractive looking dude who was like really super into her, obviously. And she was writing about like all the shitty experiences she's had with like people saying awful things to them. And so like certainly you might encounter difficulties as a result of this concept, but that doesn't mean that you have to like take it on board, you know, personally in your relationships. Yeah. All right. That was a lot of ranting. I am ranted out until next week. (laughs) When we will have so many more opinions. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Dildorks. I have been Kate Sloan. You can find my sex blog at girlyjuice.net and the rest of my writing at katewritesaboutsex.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. And you can listen to my other podcast, Question Box, the game show podcast for, oh my God, I was about to say funny people and their unfunny friends. No, <laughs> wrong rental floss property. Um, the game show podcast of shockingly personal questions. Um, look us up. It's called Question Box. Where is your stuff? Well, I mean, if you do want a game for funny people and their unfunny friends, get Use Your Words. It's called Use Your Words and it's great. And I wrote some stuff for it. It's on Steam buy it or something that's unrelated yeah we weren't paid to plug it and i don't know why we are but (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you half pitched it they might as well know where they can get the someone is sitting there being like but what do i do with all of my unfunny friends (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you no problem no problem taking care of that that guy with his unfunny friends taking care of him (laughs) Also, if you want to find my shit, I'm occasionally funny at BexTalkSex.com and uh, slightly more frequently funny at BexTalkSex on Twitter. Um, never funny on Instagram. On Instagram. <laughs> Just hot on Instagram. That's all you have to be on Instagram, though. True. You don't need to be funny on that medium. Very very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you want to follow the Dildorks, we're at the Dildorks on Twitter and Instagram and at thedildorks.com. You could also find us by searching the Dildorks in your favorite podcast app. We're also on Spotify now, so like go over there and follow us. I think that's what you do on Spotify. <laughs> Whatever one gives us attention. And write and review us in your yeah. other apps. People keep following us on Instagram because you keep telling them to every week, and I never we fucking post anything. We don't do anything, anything in it. No, Instagram. but it's in my spiel, so it comes out of my mouth. Yeah, well, yeah. it's locked in now. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com slash the Dildarks. Give me your money. <laughs> Thank you so much to Protodome. He did our theme song, I Want You in My Bedroom. He is at protodome.bandcamp.com. Thank you to Amy. She did our logo. She is at starboots underscore on Twitter. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Bye. Bye. Slid off oh, the jeez. Is it okay? Yeah, it's fine. It fell into the trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually... Oh, your giggle looks cute on the thing. <laughs> um, 
it's not it's not actually trash. It's the garbage can that I uh, use for used sex toys, so <laughs> okay. I can wash them in the morning. Okay. Um, but but it is garbage can. Next question.